Hi, welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy you're joining us on our journey through the book of Matthew. Join us today as we talk through the way Jesus instructed us to live the good life. Hey, welcome to Branch Online. My name is Josh and I am thrilled that you are logging in and you're joining us for this online worship and teaching opportunity. In today's teaching, we're going to be learning about how to have the good life both with your body and your soul. What we'll be talking about today is good not only for you physically, but also for your soul eternally. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in these instructions is radically transforming the way that we live our lives, including our physical lives and the way that we spend our spiritual energy and effort. So we hope that you'll stay tuned, that you'll listen all the way through, and that this will be a great encouragement to you today. Welcome if this is your first time with us at Branch Life Church or if you're with us every week. Again, we are glad that you are tuning in. We'd love for you to take a moment and fill out your online connection card. You can find the link to that directly in your chat room where you're watching, or you can go to branchlife.church. It's one of the main cards right on our front page. We'd love to know that you worship with us today. Check in if you're a regular. Let us know that this is your first time or or that you're a returning guest uh, on that card. We'd love to be able to pray for you, whatever you would like to share with us. If anything, it's all available there. We want to hear from you, so please, please, please do that today. If you have been connected with Branch Life Church in the past, you might be getting one of these in the mail or getting one around the Memorial Day holiday in 2021, if that's when you're watching this. These are our Better Together cards. These represent Branch Life Church, and these are a way that you can be reminded about connecting with Branch and that you can invite others to connect with us. So, hey, we want to invite you to spread the word. Go ahead and share this on social media. Like it. Comment on it. Say hi to your uh, chat room host. That would be incredible. And when you get this card, go ahead and hand it off to somebody else and let them know that they're welcome to join us, whether online each and every week on demand or in person at our brand new worship center just south of Pottstown, right off of Route 100 on Pewtown Road. We want to say a huge shout out and a huge thank you to everybody who gives to Branch Life on a regular basis. You guys are amazing in your generosity. Your gifts are doing incredible things, and we are continuing to pay it forward in our community. We're continuing to renovate our worship center. We're continuing to support God's work and God's kingdom here and around the globe. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving. You can do that anytime at branchlife.church slash give. We're excited to continue our Good Life series this morning. We're traveling through the book of Matthew starting at the very first verse and ending at the last one all this year. You can catch all of these on demand on our website. Today, we're following up on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. This is something you're going to want to hear about. It's going to affect your body and your soul. Thanks for joining us today.
All right, let's dive into the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' radical teaching to transform our lives so that we can live the good life. Today, Jesus takes it even one step further, talking not only about our spiritual life and our spiritual practices, but how those practices affect both our body and our soul. So the good life for your body and your soul is what we are talking about today. We just finished the, a talk about the Sermon on the Mount. If you did not join us for that, jump back to last week's message and the week before that where we introduce and unpack this incredibly powerful and well-known teaching of Jesus about prayer. And he teaches us about prayer through the Lord's Prayer. Remember, this is how it goes. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, man, we just said the Lord's prayer and you could get through that prayer and go, you know what? That was easy. The Lord's prayer takes all of like 15 seconds. Now, for those of you that have been dreading prayer and how to pray, we've been saying that it's just a private conversation with God. And prayer is powerful because God is powerful. And the good life is only possible through prayer. And so we've been saying that prayer is this amazing thing that must be a part of your life. And it's going to transform everything. What God does through prayer is, is countless and immeasurable. More than you can even think or imagine happens because you tap into the power of our creator. That's prayer. And so many people are like, prayer is hard. Prayer is incredibly difficult. I don't know how to pray. And then you see the Lord's prayer and you go, oh, well, that was easy, right? And just when you thought it was easy, Jesus continues on with his teaching. You know what? We can actually get to the point where we can be like, prayer's easy. I can pray for my food. I can pray for my friend. I can just talk to God. I can go over the Lord's prayer. And that was easy. But just in case you thought it was too easy, Jesus now goes into two massively difficult practices, one for your soul and one for your body. First, he's going to talk about forgiveness and then fasting. And so we're going to unpack these two practices and we're going to see how, how they're hard, but how amazing they are and what difference they make in our lives. So turn to Matthew chapter 6. Just after the Lord's Prayer, we'll read the follow-up, the following, the closing to the Lord's Prayer and to the teaching on this section of prayer. He says in verse 14, 4, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And when you fast... Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their, so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head with oil, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. So we jump into this passage on on forgiveness and fasting. And we're going to handle these one at a time. So buckle your seatbelt and let's jump right in to one of the most incredible topics in the Lord's Prayer, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew and throughout God's Word. This 
topic of forgiveness is a cornerstone teaching that Jesus revisits over and over again, that all of his disciples visit over and over again. And when something is repeated in the Bible, you have got to hold on and you've got to lean in because that means it's important. Forgiveness is taught over and over again because forgiveness is all about your soul. See, Jesus is teaching and reminding us in this incredible moment that even though you might be talking to God, you have to do some soul work, some homework, so that your prayers can be heard, can be powerful, and can be effective. That soul work that he's reminding you of is the work of forgiveness. So let's just remind ourselves and do a quick word study and understand what forgiveness is and a little bit about what forgiveness isn't. Because, hey, we have a lot of preloaded ideas about what forgiveness is. So many people say, hey, forgive and forget. Well, I can't forget, so therefore I can't forgive. You know that forgiveness is not forgetting. Did you know that that forgiveness, it's impossible to forgive and forget? Are you supposed to take an eraser to your memory and just wipe it away? Are you supposed to ignore other people's bad behavior and just pretend that it's not going going on around you? Are you supposed to be a doormat for people to walk all over you? That's what people associate with forgiveness, and forgiveness is not those things. Let's talk about what forgiveness is and then talk about why it's so important for our souls. First of all, forgiveness is not fair. Let's just acknowledge the fact that forgiveness is not fair because you are being hurt when you're supposed to forgive someone. Somebody has wronged you. They're coming to you and saying, hey, I'm sorry. Well, why are they apologizing? Because they did something bad. They hit you with their car. They said some bad word. Uh, they, they called you some names. They, they took something from you. They stole something. They hurt you. They abused you in some way, shape, or form. And now they're coming up to you and they're saying, I'm sorry. Or maybe they're not even saying, I'm sorry. And you're being triggered by the Spirit to offer forgiveness. And forgiveness, remember, is not forgetting. But what it is, it's letting go. Forgiveness lets go of the hurt or the offense that came after you. It doesn't hold on to that. It doesn't bring it up again. It doesn't keep recalling it and talking about it over and over again. It's, It's even freeing someone up from the consequences that you're in control of. Now, that's not fair. Like, they should pay for their wrong. They should make it right. They should give some sort of retribution because of the hurt that was caused against you. Forgiveness is not fair. You are erasing a debt. You are are covering over a multitude of sins when you forgive. Now, here's what I want you to understand about forgiveness not being fair. Thank God that forgiveness is not fair. Thank God that it's not fairness because listen, You have been forgiven by God. All of those things that you did to hurt God, to abuse God, to offend God, all the things you said about God, all the things that fell short of God's glory, and then you come to God and you ask Him for forgiveness. The Bible says that He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. He separates them as far as the east is from the west. He does not hold them against you. He frees you from the consequences of those sins. He pays the debt that you owe. That's not fair. Thank God that forgiveness is not fair because because of through forgiveness 
You are given access to the family of God and to life eternal. He's giving you something you don't deserve and that you haven't earned. He's freeing you from a punishment that you do deserve and that you do earn. God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been the receiving on the receiving end of unfair forgiveness. Forgiveness is never fair. And thank God that it's not fair. Number two, forgiveness is not just. Forgiveness is not just. It's not justice. It's not giving some, someone their equal due. It's not the tooth for a tooth and the eye for an eye. That's already been talked about. Forgiveness, again, is freeing someone from the consequences that you are in control of. But God is just. You see, when I forgive someone, I am turning over their payment or their debt to God. And God is a just God. Over and over in scripture, Jesus and God are described in faithful terms, in gracious terms, in merciful terms, and in terms of justice. He is a God of justice. And so forgiveness is made possible because it comes through the grace and justice of God. You see, God has demanded payment for our wrongs. We do owe a debt, yet that payment has been paid for by our substitute, Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he paid the debt for our sins. And our wrongdoing is justly paid for through the death of Jesus on the cross. And that same thing is true in life. When you're wronged, when you are sinned against, when you are hurt, and you free someone from your consequences, from you bringing down justice, God and the authority that God puts around us is responsible to give that just reward, to give that just due, and some days give that just punishment. We have a, set, a saying around here that life is choices. Choices have consequences, so make the right choices. You're often going to be paying the consequences of bad behavior, and that's a result of God's justice in our lives. And God is the ultimate judge. God is the ultimate judger of our, our behavior and our actions. When I forgive someone, I free them from the justness that I think they deserve, and I hand them over to a just God. God says, mine is the job of revenge, not yours. And so we trust his goodness, we trust his grace, and we trust his justice when we forgive. Hey, a lot of times forgiveness is hard because we think someone deserves to be punished by me, by, by my reactions. But forgiveness is not just. But always remember, God is. And the third thing that we need to understand about forgiveness is forgiveness frees your soul. It's often said that forgiveness is less about someone else and more about me. When you hold on to her anger and bitterness, you're doing more destruction to yourself than you think you're doing to the other person. I'm going to get them. I'm going to be mad at them. What? They don't care. They're going to move on with the rest of their life, but you're going to walk around angry. I'm going to, I'm going to cut them off where well, you're going to spend the rest of your days avoiding that person and always trying to figure out where they are. You are ultimately punishing yourself. Forgiveness, the action of letting go of grace is a freeing action to your soul. It takes a weight and a burden off of you that is so difficult 
to bear. In Matthew chapter 6 and verses 14 to 15, remind ourselves of this instructions. For if you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Listen, your soul hangs in the balance of forgiveness. The Bible clearly says in this statement, when you forgive others, God is in the business of forgiving you. But here's the warning. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. That is a terrifying sentence. That's a, that's a, that's a sentence that should strike fear in your heart and your soul and your mind. Let me ask you this question. Who do you need to forgive? Who are you unwilling to forgive? I'll never forget teaching on forgiveness at another church at another time a long time ago. And we were talking about how forgiveness is greater than everything else. And after that message, a grandmother came walking up to me. She hung her head and she shook it back and forth. And she looked up at me and she grabbed me by my hand and she said, Young man, there's someone I can never forgive. And I began to give the pastoral answer. And I said, oh, yeah, there's absolutely, you can forgive them. God will give you the power. God will give you the grace. She held onto my hand a little bit tighter. And a tear started to roll down her eye. She said, when I was a little girl, this man who I can't forgive abused me. He hurt me. He did awful things to me. And now you are telling me I have to forgive that man. That man's long dead. And she was still holding on to hurt and, and, and pain in her spirit. I looked at her and I said, there's only one possible way to forgive that man. And that's in the power of Jesus Christ. You see, there are some people we can't forgive. There are some people that have done unspeakable things to us. There are some things that have happened to us that, that are awful and way across the line and deserve punishment in this life and for some would argue the next. And in those moments when we come to the end of ourselves, we have to realize that there's only one way to forgive in that moment and that's in the power of Jesus Christ. You see, Christians, people who follow Jesus, we understand that but by God's grace, we are the offender that we are the abuser, that we are the evil one, and that God still covered us in His grace. And when we realize how much we've been forgiven of, when we realize the, the debt that was paid, the death and the beating that happened to Jesus on the cross, when that becomes a reality for us, then through that reality, we are then able to forgive everyone and anyone of anything they've ever done. But only people who don't know that forgiveness hold on to their hate, their abuse, their anger. God says, God requires, God commands forgiveness. But forgiveness frees our soul. The burden is lifted and cast and given to Jesus on the cross. And that debt is paid To understand this message, Jesus was asked over and over again about forgiveness, and he taught on it. And later in our series, we're going to come to Matthew 18, but let's jump ahead and look at this and remind ourselves of this incredible teaching that Jesus gave. In Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 
21. It says, then Peter, and we, we love Peter. He's an incredible character in the Bible. Then Peter came up to him and as only Peter could do, said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times? And Jesus, it, this is Peter being like, can I forgive him seven times? Like, I, I, I can do it that many, right? And Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus is now going to give some teaching that's going to be totally upside down, that's going to be totally radical, it's going to be totally unfair and totally unjust. And he's going to tell a story about the unforgiving servant. So in Matthew chapter 18 and the rest of the, cha- and the, rest of the chapter 23 all the way to the end of 36, he tells the story. He tells the story of a servant who owed a great debt to the king. And the king called and he called the debt due. This debt was insurmountable and unpayable. And in our terms, it'd be like coming to the king and, and the king saying, you owe me $2.9 billion and I having nothing in my bank account. And I would go to the king, There's, I, I can't pay you, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. And then the king said to that servant who owed the great debt, well, you're going to be thrown in jail until your debt can be paid. That's a life sentence. That's a death sentence. That man begged and he begged for himself and he begged for his family for mercy and grace. He begged for something that wouldn't be fair and wouldn't be just. And in his mercy, that king looked at that servant and had pity on him and he said, your debt has been covered. Your debt has been forgiven. Now go on your way. And, and in this moment, what Jesus is teaching that when we're forgiven and we go on our way, we now know how much we've been forgiven. We're going to automatically forgive others, but not in this story. This servant went out immediately from the presence of the king and he ran into another individual who owed the servant money and he owed him a small debt. Something, something minuscule, incomparable, maybe, maybe uh, 20 bucks or $200, 20 bucks or $200 compared to $2.9 billion is nothing. When we realize the forgiveness we've been given, we can then pay back any, we can forgive anyone their debt. This servant looked at the man who owed him 20 bucks, grabbed him by the throat, demanded payment and said he was going to throw him in jail until he got the money. And he did just that. Well, as soon as the king heard what his unforgiving servant had done, he called him back. He said, I have forgiven you everything, yet you can't forgive that man $20. And he took away the payment. He took away the man's freedom and he locked up his soul. Jesus said, hey, we should forgive like we've been forgiven. You see, here's the truth that Jesus is sharing with all of us. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. And Christian, we should be incredibly good at forgiveness. Who in your life are you holding something against? What relationships are broken? What what people have you pushed away? Who are you unwilling to forgive? You're waiting for them to ask. You're hoping they'll go away. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven and God is commanding you to forgive people. It should be as natural as breathing. Forgiveness is like breathing. To not do so suffocates the soul. You're only hurting yourself if you're holding on to unforgiveness. Can I plead with you in, for the benefit of your soul to search your relationships and to decide to forgive today? 
anything that's happened, anything that's wrong, before they ask for it, even if they do it again, to forgive like you have been forgiven. And pr I promise, trust me on this, that it's freeing to your soul. Now, equally important, can I give you a pro tip about forgiveness? Pre-decide to forgive anything that might happen to you in the future. This is one of the powerful lessons that a husband and wife can, can learn as they're leading up to their wedding day. That if they pre-decide at their wedding day that they will pre-forgive the other for any hurt that they might cause, that that will free their soul and their relationship to soar. Bad things are going to happen. People are going to hurt you. You're going to be abused and taken advantage of. There's going to be accidents. There's going to be miscommunication. There's going to be hurt feelings. All of those things are free and regular. It's happened to me this week and I've caused it to happen to other people. But forgiveness is the freedom for our souls in these moments. Listen, the good life is full of moments where we forgive. The good life is full of forgiving moments. Let's get good at forgiveness and let's pre-decide to forgive today. Listen, if you're in these moments and there's someone that God has brought to your mind, there's someone that you're thinking about that you need to forgive, I want you to pause, stop, and pray to God and offer genuine forgiveness to that person in these moments. They may never know that you forgave them. You don't have to post it. You don't have to go after it. The Bible does say uh, the key to anger is rest restitution. But if you want to just forgive them in your spirit now, it will begin the freeing, healing process. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and God is speaking to you that you're holding on to unforgiveness, remember, it is your soul that is at stake. Do you truly believe that Jesus has saved you? Then you must truly believe that you can forgive anyone that has hurt you and sinned against you. Now, the second area that Jesus goes into now involves our bodies. And so he's given us a pro tip for our soul. He's given us some advice for our soul. And forgiveness is hard. It's not easy. And now the second job is even harder. He's teaching us about the incredible practice of fasting. Now, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but for many people, fasting is a foreign concept. It's been something that, that really uh, you may have never heard about before, except in the last, oh, I don't know, eight to nine years, Intermittent fasting has really hit the scene in weight loss. It's become one of these, I don't know if it's a fad diet or something that people talk about on a regular basis about fasting, but people talk about intermittent fasting. So maybe you're familiar with fasting through those discussions, but fasting does have to do with food. And here's a simple explanation of fasting. Fasting is giving up food for a season so that you can focus on prayer. Focus on your relationship with God. It's an intentional decision to, to not eat a meal for uh, one meal or for one day or for multiple days so that you can swap out that time so you can trade that preparation and you can feed your soul. So you can walk with God in a regular way, in a regular basis. That's what fasting is. And fasting is taught all throughout the Bible. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. This, this is a physical activity that you can go through that's directly connected to prayer. Now, Jesus, leading up to this discussion on the Sermon on the Mount, has talked about religious activity over and over again. First, he talked about giving. Then he talked about prayer. Now he's going to talk about fasting. And in all of these cases, he's going to say, this is something that needs to be done in secret. Don't do it 
as a play actor for praise of others. Don't let everyone know that you're doing these religious things because that's empty. This is something that you do between you and God. And so here's why fasting is so awesome and so incredible and why you should consider having fasting being a regular part of your spiritual rhythms. So number one, fasting fights the idol of food. Now, you might think you don't worship food, but man, some people do. If you have your Bibles, go to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 13, talking about enemies of the cross. And it says this in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is their shame with their mind set on earthly things. I bet you didn't think you'd be hearing the sentence, their God is their belly today, but that's exactly the sentence that's coming up in their moment. There are people out there, and you might be one of them, that worship food. You think about food on a regular basis. All of us think about it every day. Some of us three times a day. Some of us have uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Maybe you're like the hobbits and you have pre-lunch and post-dinner and pre, uh, 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 pre-breakfast and post-breakfast and middle breakfast and, and later breakfast and midnight snack on the side. Some of you out there are just into the foodie culture. You love food. You love designer food. You love new restaurants. You like trying to... I I would have regular gatherings uh, with friends of mine where we would sit down and we would eat an incredible meal. And the discussion during the entire meal was just talking about other food. And it was all this conversation that we have around food. Listen, food is a major issue in all of our lives. And some of us handle food well, some of us handle food very, very poorly. Here's the the incredible truth about fasting. Fasting is hard because it fights the idol of food. Fasting is hard. It is hard to stop and not to eat. I'm even going to propose this to you today, that for some of us, giving away money is easier than not eating food. Giving up money could be easier than giving up food. So if I was going to bring in kind of a visual aid, I'm saying, listen, you for the next day are not allowed to eat bread. All right. Bread is off the shelf. You can't eat it. You're fasting from it. Instead of eating your bread, you need to now pray and and have a conversation with God. And you may look at that going, "That, that looks pretty good, but I could give that up. I could give up bread for God. I could give up bread for a season. Now, what if I said, no, no, no. No, I'm not asking you just to give up bread, but I'm asking you to give up something even harder. I'm asking you to give up peanut butter. Now, some of you right now are sighing. Some of you have just got a pit in your stomach, and you said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pastor Josh, you have just crossed a line. I can't give up that peanut butter. I can't let this go. I can't be someone who's not going to have that that creamy, smooth, peanut buttery taste on a daily basis. My daughter loves banana wheels. What's banana wheels? That's slices of banana covered in peanut butter. Peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and Reese's cups. Peanut butter is a staple in our lives. And Jesus said, I want you to give up peanut butter for me. What would you say? You would say, hey, that's hard. Why? Because some of us worship peanut butter. Some of us are all about this, this idol in our lives. And, and maybe, I'm not saying, maybe, just maybe, there's some health issues going on because you cannot get control over food in your life. 
Fasting can be one of these disciplines and practices that help us fight the idol of food. If I can give up fat food for a season because of my relationship with God, maybe I can learn what my proper relationship with food may be. Here's an unexpected perk from fasting. It fights the idol of food. Second, fasting shows dependence on God. Fasting shows dependence on God. Later in Matthew, we're going to read about rich men and their faith. And the Bible's going to say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is a rich man to have faith in God, to put their faith in Jesus. Why? Because they have everything that they need. Why would I need to get saved? I can handle it. I can do it myself. It is sometimes easier for us to depend on ourselves than it is to depend on God. When I give up food, I am now physically putting myself in the dependence of God. It's, it, is, it is hard for a full man to fully trust in God because we're used to providing ourselves for all our needs. But let's go back to the bread for a second. In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 4, it's a pretty powerful verse. Jesus himself had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was in the wilderness. He was hungry, the Bible says. And that's when Satan comes in and he tempts Jesus. Remember, we looked at this a few weeks back. You can jump back into our series and go to the Matthew chapter 4 section and and read all about this and listen to this. It's incredible. And here's what Jesus says to Satan to resist that temptation. He said this, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It is so important, even more important than three square meals a day, that you live by the words of God. That the word of God becomes your sustenance. That the words of God become your source of light and life and satisfaction. But for so many of us, we have become dependent on food. So when we set aside our food, we now depend on Jesus, who is in the book of John declared as the bread of life. I, Jesus, am the bread of life. When we fast, we show our dependence on God. We go through a physical action of depending physically on God. And third, The final incredible truth about fasting is fasting is a physical discipline that adds spiritual power. When you take on this physical activity of fasting, you are adding spiritual fuel to the fire. There's some incredible power that comes through fasting. God has talked about our spiritual lives in three ways through scripture. These three examples or these three metaphors are pictures to us about how we are supposed to live our spiritual lives. Those three things that are often talked about are farmers, athletes, and soldiers. As Christians, we're like farmers. We're constantly doing the work of sowing and and planting and, and all of that that's involved in trying to produce a crop. That pleases God. We're athletes that train our bodies, that aim for the goal and run for the prize of the high calling of God. We're soldiers fighting a battle in the war. We're out there doing the work and putting our lives in danger. How many of you have ever met a lazy farmer? I mean, farmers work incredibly hard. 
They're up at the, at the first crack of dawn in the morning as the rooster crows. They're out there doing the work in season, out of season. There's no rain days for farmers. They've got to get it done. It has to happen. If it doesn't happen, there's, they're, it, it's going, they're going to fail. They're going to fall, and their farm will go under. How many of you have met lazy athletes? People don't become Olympians or gold medalists by accident. There's a, an amazing amount of discipline that comes in, what they eat, when they exercise, and repeating that activity over and over again so they can hone their skill and their talent to precisely do what they're training their bodies to do. And how many of you have ever met a, 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 a lazy soldier? At, ready at the call to fight for our freedom, to defend lives, to be, to be skilled and to be trained that their boot camp training alone that they have to go through and that they have to endure. And Jesus says, as a Christian, these are the pictures that we follow. These, these are our examples. Walking as a Christian is like being a farmer, an athlete, and a soldier. It is hard work. It is incredible discipline. It takes a, 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 an amazing amount of physical effort to be what God has called us to be as Christians. Someone might have told you that being a Christian is easy. It's not. Being a Christian is not smooth and it's not without hard work and heartache. As a matter of fact, anything worth doing well is worth doing hard. And we have to be able to put ourselves at the center of uh, physical discipline so that we can be the best Christians that God has designed us to be, so that we can reach for the goal and for the prize, so that we can bear the fruit that God wants us to bear, so that we can win the war. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen through hard work and discipline. So what has God called us to do? He's called us to be generous in our stuff. To give sacrificially, he's called us to be people who pray regularly. And adding to that fasting, he's called us to forgive other people who have hurt us. He wants us to be regular parts of our church. He wants us to be a part of our church, to be involved in our community, to gather together with the saints on a regular basis. How many of us that has just flown out the window due to the pandemic? And now that it's time, now that we can come back together, we don't. Maybe it's too much work to come together. It's not easy to get together and worship. And so I'm just going to skip it or I'm not going to be a part of it in any way, shape, or form. That's just laziness in the Christian life. But when we work at it, when we study God's word, when we come together as a church, when we give, we forgive, we pray, we fast, we are involving ourselves in that spiritual exercise, that spiritual discipline that then causes spiritual reward. Physical exercise physical activity that causes spiritual reward. That's why prayer and fasting are all over the Bible. Are you saying, Pastor Josh, that if I fast, that I somehow gain favor with God? Yes and no. Not in a religious way, not in a way that says I'm earning something from God and he now owes me. But God has said over and over in, in scripture that this pleases him and that there is a benefit for your soul in fasting, that there's spiritual power behind the practice of prayer and fasting. So we're supposed to be a part of it. And all through scripture, fasting is talked about. In the book of Exodus, Moses was with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking. Je Jehoshaphat, that's a king, resolved to inquire of the Lord. So he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. When seeking wisdom, fasting is a part of that discipline so that you can know what God wants you to do. Ezra fasts and petitioned God about his answers, looking for answers to prayer. 
Esther is an incredible example of some, someone in an incredibly hard and difficult situation about to present herself before the king, a life or death moment. And in that moment, she called her people to prayer and fasting, knowing how important that moment was. Nehemiah heard that the walls were not rebuilt in his hometown, Jerusalem, and he fell in sorrow for prayer and fasting. And then he became the leader who rebuilt the walls, and a whole book of the Bible is based on his action. Daniel turned to God in prayer and fasting. Jonah, uh, when the Ninevites believed in God, they confessed, they repented through prayer and fasting, and their city was saved. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights right before he began his earthly ministry. The first thing Jesus did did before he started serving and building his kingdom was to stop and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. In Acts, they pray and fasted and they placed their hands over people that they sent out to plant churches and to start ministries. And they, uh, Paul and Barnabas prayed and fasted as they appointed elders in and over the church. This pattern of prayer and fasting is an incredible example for you and I that we should have a regular rhythm of prayer and fasting in our lives when we need to confess something to show true repentance of sin, when we have a big decision and we need wisdom, when we're on the starting line of something big and something important, we should be involved in prayer and fasting. If you're getting ready to graduate college and you're not sure what you're going to do next, when you're deciding what college you want to go to, when you're getting ready for your wedding day, there probably should be prayer and fasting involved in that pursuit. When we're looking to see someone in our lives come to know Jesus, have you fallen on your face and have you said, God, I... I beg you to save my one and I am going to pray and fast to that end. We, do we love our kids and want to see them grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we willing to pray and fast for them? For so many of us, fasting is not a part of our spiritual discipline or our spiritual rhythms. And today, would today be the start of prayer and fasting in your life? This physical discipline will then bring spiritual power to what happens. I don't know theologically how that works. I just know by the testimony of the Word of God that it does. So at Branch Life Church, we have committed from the beginning, we're two years into this journey, that prayer and fasting would be a part of what we do on a regular basis and a regular rhythm. Our first goal was to build a prayer network of over a thousand people who would be praying for multiplication and the building of Branch Life Church. Now, not just building our church, but building a network of churches, something that only God could do. We're on the starting line of that right now, and we're asking people to pray and fast over that. And as we build this church and every church that comes, we want to continue to build prayer into it. Not just praying for people that are sick, that's great, but praying for incredible movement of God in our lives, for His protection, for His power, for His light to shine in it, and to be active in all that happens in our lives and the lives of others. We want to build prayer into the foundation of everything that we do. So at Branch Life Church, we call, we call everyone to pray first. And by being a part of either of these prayer teams, you are regularly prompted to pray. We're looking to launch our prayer network over the next over this summer, where we're praying for what's next as we look to, to launching or, or, or uh, creating 15 new churches in the next 15 years. We're looking to build prayer into our regular rhythms at Branch Life Church for those that are here every Sunday morning. 
praying over our services every Sunday with worshipers and throughout the week. And just by joining one of these teams, that may be one of the promptings that you need as you deliver us your email. Hey, if you would like to join the Branch Life Church Prayer Network or the Branch Life Prayer Team, simply fill out your connection card and give us your email and say, I'd like to join and then name your prayer network or team. If you're not local, join the International Prayer Network. If you are local, let's talk about you being a part of our prayer team here at the church, praying regularly for us. Here's the important question. Do you have a rhythm of prayer and fasting? Do you have a rhythm of prayer and fasting? And if you're not that guy, if you haven't allowed that rhythm to come into your life, then maybe you start doing that. Well, how often should we pray and fast? It should be as, as often as is necessary. It should be regular. It should be, it should be set up for you to be a practice that is not strange in your life. I have a regular rhythm. It's weekly in my life for prayer and fasting. And it's wrapped around what God has called me to do. And I don't want to tell you any more about it because it's a secret. It's something that I do for myself as I walk with God, as I'm involved in ministry. It doesn't have to be weekly and it doesn't have to be one meal, but it could be a variety of things. Does fasting have to be food? I say most of the time, yes. That's what it was designed as. You can fast from your phone. You can fast from um, uh, television. You can fast from driving your favorite car. That's, that's fine and that's probably got its right course. But Jesus called us to, to forsake food for the sake of prayer. And so that's what this needs to be a regular part of. So what is your rhythm? Weekly? Could it be monthly? Could it, there be a yearly moment? And then in those key moments, those key times in life, have fasting be a part. And then it says this, when you fast, and that's assuming that you do, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, by your, but by your Father who's in secret, so that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the third time that Jesus has said this phrase. This is an important phrase. As we are, Jesus is preaching against empty religion. He's preaching against hypocrisy. You can go back a couple of messages where we talk more about this. And he's saying your religion, your good faith needs to be between you and God. Your fasting is not on display. You shouldn't mark up your face. You should wash your face, not tell anyone what you're doing. This is something that's between you and God. Not that it's ever going to come out. We know about times that Jesus prayer and fasted, but this is the heart of it is private with God, just like giving, just like praying, and also now with fasting. Let it be done in secret. Think about this. We know some incredible things that Jesus did. He rose people from the dead. He healed blind people. He caused the deaf to be able to hear. He fed thousands and thousands of people with just a few loaves of fish, few loaves of bread, and a couple of fish. Jesus walked on water. He turned water into wine. Jesus rose from the dead. Like It's incredible what Jesus did that we know about. But just imagine what Jesus did in secret. Imagine the people that he talked to and that he helped, that he healed, that he lifted up. This God in flesh with immeasurable healing power, the power to give and forgive, constantly, constantly out there working miracles and casting out demons and calming the storm, probably in private did much more than we know that he did in public. 
just between him and God. We know he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, but how often did he forego food so he could just connect with his heavenly father? Imagine the prayers that he gave that nobody heard when he talked privately with God. Imagine those moments that he gave in secret, that he gave to other people, time, energy, effort. We know that he snuck out at night to have a conversation with Nicodemus. How many times Did he sneak out to help a friend? How many times was he the source of that gift or generosity that reached out to someone and they didn't even know that it was Jesus who gave it? When Jesus practiced what he preached, that means Jesus gave, prayed, and fasted in secret. And some of the most powerful things that Jesus did, we will probably never know about because it was between him and God. Now imagine what you and I could do in secret. Those things that nobody would ever know about, where we gave generously to somebody else, where we just spent time passionately before God, where we practice this physical discipline of fasting so that we could hear from God and be connected to him more. You see, the good life has these secret rhythms of giving, prayer, fasting, and forgiveness that are good for the body and for the soul. God cares about life and life more abundant. And he's teaching us the physical practices that we need to do so that we can have that good life in body and in soul. So today, you've been challenged to forgive. You've been challenged to fast. And I hope you will take up those challenges in secret as soon as possible. I want you to join us next week as we talk about treasure. And you're not going to want to miss it. If you haven't yet filled out your connection cards, we would ask you to do that before you sign off. Click on the link or go to branchlife.church where you can fill out this card in full. And if you're here wondering about your own personal faith in Jesus, he's standing ready to forgive you your sins if you simply confess. You simply ask him to save you. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for your sins and you want to accept that salvation gift. If you want any more information about that, go to our our website and hit the gospel tab. And if today you've prayed to receive Jesus as your personal savior, please let us know as you respond to that online. Last week, we're celebrating that somebody did just that. They accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. They decided to become a follower of Jesus. And we know that because they commented on their card. Today, I've decided to follow Jesus. We're ready to celebrate that on your behalf. If that's something that you've done, we'd love to know about it. Thanks so much for being here today. We hope that you will have a great rest of your day as we live in Jesus' power, the good life.